throughout uh, the end of October and now into November and through November where we've been keying in on the 61st chapter of Isaiah. It's this vision of the new Jerusalem. It's, it's a key passage of, Oak, of Scripture that Oak Church gets our name, our identity from. Last week we explored uh, how through the Messiah Jesus were made and called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We hope to grow into these, this vision of, in this chapter, this exciting, inspiring vision of hope and healing of hospitality in and through Christ. This week we're going to focus on verses 5 through 7, and these always surprise me a little bit. Isaiah writes to God's people at an unstable time in exile, and he casts a vision for what God's healing might look like. What it'll look like for God's world to be set right through and for God's people and, and what a return home would be like. So you, you might expect that to be familiar. You know, you're driven away from your home for all these years and you might expect comfort, <laughs> a family reunion, closed rank. Especially when you're so opposed, you might expect all your enemies to be wiped out, but instead when you get home you find strangers, foreigners in your homeland. So that redemption and reconciliation has has faces to it. There's grace, there's surprises there. Um, Before we we get into the scripture though, I want to invite uh, Hachel up and he's going to share a testimony. We've been doing these these stories, um, these testimonies throughout our series and and they're uh, they're just little stories of hope and healing and hospitality. And, and Hachel and his family have been here, like a part of several different churches. Three, three different churches now? Uh, this is the third different church that's met in this building, in this neighborhood. And, and um, I, I think you'll enjoy hearing some of Hachel's experience and his heart for this Lakewood community. So give Hachel a round of applause. Hello? Oh, can you guys hear me? Is this, is this on? Okay. Yeah, so um, thank you, Pastor Chris, for giving me this opportunity. Um, he emailed me about a week ago asking if I could share a short testimony. And when I heard that, I was excited and at the same time nervous because I didn't know how I could share everything that had happened in the last six years w- that we've been here in like one setting. There's so many things that happen. I, I, I do wanna, I wanna represent that really well. So I just ask that God will kind of lead me and guide me. Um, I tried to write some stuff down, but I ran out of time. I was just writing in there. <laughs> but I thought about it for a week. And I, I'll start by saying again that, you know, you know, there are two books in the Bible. I, I mean, I like, I guess, all the books in the Bible, but there are two that kind of stands out right now as I sh- I'm sharing. One is John. Um, um, I just love Book of John for many reasons, but one thing is that at the end, the last chapter, you know, Apostle Paul, after spending 21 chapters writing how much God loves us and tried to talk about the beginning, the intention, and everything else, and he says at the end that if, we were, if he was able to write everything that happened, Right, the world would not be able to contain all the books that had to be written. 
I feel like that's what I've experienced here, right? Over the six years, you know, I grew up in an Asian American uh, community. Um, so I wasn't, you know, maybe the next step would be, you know, go somewhere suburban, you know, kind of life, church, um, kind of get myself acquainted to maybe a uh, Caucasian church or so. And then somehow God led us to here uh, six years ago, and I wasn't ready. And I was one of the leaders that had about 140 uh, members that were actually serving here, mostly made out of um, young adults, college students from Duke, UNC, NC State. And I told my pastor at the time, I said, are you sure you know what you're doing? Because we thought this was like the most scary place that we could actually worship. And, you know, people, at least the, the kids that were coming to our church, they were driving BMWs and, and Lexus and, you know, different cars like that. And we're parking in the street. And I said, Pastor, what happens if one of them get, like, broken in? Or what happens when the, the girls are kind of, you know, during the summer it's hot, they're barely wearing anything. Um, so what happens if those kids somehow get harassed, right? How are we going to deal with this? So I was worried. So it started from that, and then, like, we bought a new set of computers downstairs, you know, set up the computer office, you know, office for us to use, and then next Sunday everything is taken away. Someone broke into the church. And I said, wow, this is going to be scary. But through that, I think God made us to be more dependent. And I'm not trying to scare everyone here, but I don't think, uh, I don't think that has happened yet here. But that actually got me more excited about, about people here. And I met great people here. I remember just going door to door. I met this person named Dwight Kelly. Uh, he's an African-American gentleman. Uh, who lived, you know, mostly as homeless, but he, he got a, a place to stay at the time. And he's like, you know, uh, it was like first Sunday that we actually did it, and the first day he actually moved in. He said, Hedger, why don't you come and pick me up every Sunday? And I did that for a year and a half. And that was amazing. And he, I think, asked the same thing that James was asking when, uh, I don't know if James, I don't think James here today. I asked Pastor Chris, you know, I need a job. I need, I need to do something. What can I do? And Dwight asking the same question to me. And I remember going there every Tuesday with some food and sharing about Bible and the story. Because he said he was bored and he didn't have any friends. So that story and there's so many other stories I can share that where God was kind of teaching me. And I think you will find out in the next couple maybe uh, several Sundays from now when we have a Christmas presentation here where we're going to have different congregation come and worship God, to God together. You know, we have the Burmese congregation here. We've got a Hispanic congregation also meets at 1 o'clock here. And I just feel like this is heaven. So I, there's so many stories, and I, I just learned great. And I just want to tell you one thing that maybe help us in, be encouraged. There's another book I like in the, in the New Testament, is Acts. So the way I teach the kids about Acts is that, you know, it doesn't, it just ends abruptly. There's no, like, conclusion, you know. There's no, like, hey, this is how it ended and we have the happy ever after kind of story. It just ends. And one of the study Bible I was reading kind of taught me that it ends that way because it continues. 
We're kind of living it now. We're actually living it now in the time of Acts. And I feel like the last six, six years have been that for me. Is that where I'm, I'm living out what's happening. You know, I experienced the feeding 5,000 when we had vacation Bible school for the first time where we had so many school supplies that we gave so much away. We had 100 plus kids, the first time doing it, 40 volunteers. We gave them all away and we had so many bags left. And we filled those bags up with supplies that were donated from, like, there's no way, like, I couldn't even carry it. It was kind of heavy. I mean, it's like, it was hard for me. I struggle. It's that heavy. And then I see little kids. It was, like, heavier than kids, and they're kind of dragging to their house. And we had, we had I think, about 15 or 20 bags left in the office. And we were like, what are we going to do with this? So I've experienced that. And the last thing I experienced was how over the six years, I felt like God loves this community so much that when we think that we're going to give up, they bring another church in, right? So you guys are like being part of, we're all being part of this ministry and this Bible that's being written today. That you experience that as much as I experienced it, maybe my wife and our kids also experienced that I'm just excited for all of us to experience that. And you, you'll feel that. And that's why, you know, we're here. Because we'd rather be here than no other, no other place. Because I want to experience God. I want to be part of that chapter that's not written yet. So that when God sees us one day, he'll say, you know, you've done pretty good. You've been faithful. Mm. Right? And look, all the things. And he'll probably say, look, I could have shown you a hundred other things, but you kind of didn't obey but you, you saw maybe five of it, right? <laughs> so uh, I just want to encourage everyone that that's kind of the things that I've experienced, and I just want to encourage all of us to continue to push forward and, and just experience God. Thanks. All right. <laughs> hey, Cho, if, hey, if you stay up here. Actually, y'all are dismissed to potluck. That was great. That was, now, stay up here. Um, I'm going to pray for you, ask a blessing. Uh, Father, uh, we're thankful for your uh, servants, uh, Heishel and Hein and Insu and Jungsu, for um, their presence here uh, with your people in Lakewood, uh, for the heart uh, that you're giving them and, and the um, obedience uh, that they've displayed in, in staying here and, and being um, open to your work. Uh, we thank you for uh, the good word that you gave him, made inspire us to join you um, in your uh, mission to renew us, uh, to save us, um, and for us to be part of that. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Now I want to invite Rach up to read. Um, we're going to read all of chapter 61, but we're going to vo- focus on 5 through 7. So you can do that. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. 
They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land. And everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Amen. Amen. So two main characters show up in these verses. Both have had long threads uh, throughout the Bible narrative. Strangers and priests. Priests being Israel in general and a subset of Israel more specifically, strangers or the nations being, well, everyone else. Gentiles, broadly, everyone from oppressive enemies of Israel, God's people, to the fairly innocent sojourner in their midst. Outsiders to the worship and witness and mission of the Creator and Redeemer God who calls a people to himself. See, God's people, Israel, their, their whole story, if we remember right, started with God calling and cutting a covenant with Abraham, the father. In Genesis, we, we, we hear God say to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. This was Israel's start. First God made Abraham a stranger. He sent him into a foreign land. Then he declared that the whole goal of Abraham's future family would be to bring glory to God by blessing the world and drawing people to God by blessing the world and calling people to God. God's people would be, and these are nerdy uh, science terms, God's people would be centrifugal, sent out. Like, like when you spin and you are sent out, in order to be centripetal, drawn in a gathering of people, gathered like sheep to a shepherd in, into the fold of God's salvation. Throughout Isaiah's prophetic proclamation, he declares judgment on Israel's sin and disobedience, and a lot of that happens through the nations. They oppose, they oppress God's people. So then, and here's like the irony and the shock, God reestablishes and reaffirms his people by drawing them back in repentance, healing, and renewal. And once we get there, we see some of the very people that they dreaded 
some of the people that they feared, some of the strangers. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. Today I want to make kind of two basic observations from this text that I think could be revolutionary. I think, I think, I think they could be revolutionary. I hope they'll be foundational for Oak Church to be what God wants us to be. The first is that strangers are important to the life of God's people. And this might, this probably seems obvious, right? Strangers are important to the life of God's people. The second is God's people act as priests to strangers. God's people act as priests to strangers. Strangers are important to the life of God's people. And in that line that strangers will shepherd your flocks, there's, there's a strange um, implication in some translations rendered they'll strangers will stand and shepherd your flocks. There's an implication that they're going to work with you, not under you. You're not going to oppress them. God's prosperity and renewal will be with them. God's abundance will be theirs too. God's blessing will be open to everyone, to non-Jews, to us. The whole direction of Israel's calling, Israel's job, Israel's vocation is then to show off what God love looks like, what salvation feels like. So if strangers are important to the life of God's people, there's some things we can learn from that. There's ways that Christ's church can, can learn habits, can learn postures. And, and I think these have something to do with hospitality. And that's, that's kind of a hard word for us because we think, what, what do we think when we think hospitality? Shout it out. What's the first thing you think? Martha Stewart, right? <laughs> like cloth napkins and mason jars. Yeah. That's not what I mean by hospitality. When, when we, we think about and we talk about hospitality at Oak Church, I, I want our vision to look something like this. That we're hospitable. Not, not like that yet. Gosh, first Hachel is such, like, giving all these spoiler alerts for myself, and then Matt, so. Gosh, just everyone wait. Calm down. <laughs> I want hospitality to look something like this, that we make room for outsiders, that, that, we're, that we live kind of permeable lives. Not just because we're nice people, though, right? I mean, that's it's not a bad thing to be nice people. A lot of us could stand to be a lot nicer people. But not just that we throw parties and, and not just that we're willing to overlook differences of opinion, but that we, we welcome people. We make room for people because God welcomed us when we were strangers. That God made room for us. He offered us space where change could take place, where we could be transformed a change that would make us his people when we were still a, a long way off. That we would be his people even when we've estranged ourselves from his love. Uh, I think we need to be hospitable because in Jesus, God welcomed the stranger. He welcomed us in his family. And, and all this led Paul to even eventually proclaim, and I think this is a, a rephrasing of this whole 
theme in it, and it's some of the stuff I was thinking when I was driving in and listening to the Berlin Wall, that now there's no Jew or Gentile, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That's why in the gospel stories we repeated in the gospel stories we repeatedly find Jesus in a position to receive strangers. And he's also the recipient of hospitality as a stranger. There's a surprise and an irony of, of the stranger shepherds and the vine dressers. They show up in Isaiah, but they also show up in kind of the gospel irony and reversal in Christ's ministry. You know, we find them, if we peek in, we, we find them sharing food with kind of a motley crew of sinners and tax collectors. He, he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. And I, I refresh all these Bible stories when I'm reading them to Noah, which is kind of an awesome side note, Zacchaeus. We, we see these when Jesus also dines with the religious elite, or when he kind of inadvertently becomes the life of the wedding party, right, in John 2. Jesus in word and in deed, he shows us what God at work looks like in the world. It looks like surprising hospitality and welcome. There's this great scholar, Christine Pohl, and I would recommend her book about hospitality to anyone. She, she kind of keys in that for most of history, hospitality was a big part of the church. She says, faithful believers located their acts of hospitality in a vibrant tradition in which needy strangers, Jesus, and angels were welcomed and through which people were transformed. So often we're the ones that start offering help and hospitality and mercy, something material, and in the process we are the ones that receive the gift. It's precisely this gift, it's a grace. It's, it's not... It's not just a program that we do, though it can manifest itself in our programs. And it's not just a theology that we believe or a good idea, but it's kind of both. Isn't that cool? And, and Jesus' ministry, his, his theology of salvation and inclusion and forgiveness of sins, it, it doesn't just happen in an isolated place or a confession booth or a church building. It happens normally out there, doing, at a table. And I think this is instructive for us in our hospitality. This kind of hospi- hospitality takes its cues from the gospel, and, uh, and I think it can make some pretty sane people do some pretty insane things, right? So, for instance, here are a couple stories. Um, and personally, I, I've, I've seen this with both of my kids and in pretty different ways. That One of the most normal in, in this Experience doesn't happen for everyone, but it happens for a lot of people. One of the most normal places of welcoming the stranger happens when you become a parent, right? There is no more strange creature on this earth as someone that looks like you, but is much smaller and cannot communicate well with you. That is a strange creature. We have two of them. The process of learning to take care of a kid or to love a kid who's yours but you don't really know, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of attention. It takes so many resources. And not just financial, but emotional resources. It, 
causes you to completely reorient your life in order to be hospitable to a little person. For so much of it, it you know, it, it takes everything from us. And I think this is true for every parent. And then, as I was thinking about this and, and Rach and, and my life and our house, uh, I, th- I think it's true for us. And then there's Scott and Whitney. Yeah. I don't expect any of you to know Scott and Whitney. Um, but Scott and Whitney are freaks, man. Like, the, these two are great friends from, from college of Rach and I in Florida. And they understand their primary call as Christ followers is to be parents. Like, that's their thing. Especially Whitney, that is her thing. And, that thi- and this means that over the years they've added um, two little Kenyan boys to their home, Malachi and Moses. And, and they're roughly the same age as their five-year-old biological son, Javen, which means you have these three brothers who are like triplets, but they're the oddest-looking triplets you've ever seen. And they also have a little toddler girl named Mallory. So I, I can show you now, Matt, you can do this. This is what hospitality looks like for Scott and Whitney. That's a lot of room to make <laughs> if you're going to make room. A couple years ago, Whitney went over to bring uh, their, I guess, third child, Moses, back um, and was stuck in Kampala for several weeks pregnant with two other boys. Scott and Whitney are a little crazy because they've taken a vision of hospitality uh, and they, they've, they've done all the small and the drastic steps. The small steps are the saving, the um, planning, the shopping, the, all those things. The big steps are obviously flying to Africa and spending them months there to get their kids. But they've taken all these steps to welcome strangers, and they've taken them because their whole mission is animated by what God's done, the gospel, what God's done to make us his children. They don't see themselves playing God for these little ones, but they, they see themselves kind of living in a pattern of what God's done, his divine mercy, and, and they're putting feet to it. There's an adoption advocate um, Russell Moore, and he says without, and, and he kind of talks about the, both the activist part and the theological part, and he says without the theological part, adoption is just charity. Without the missional part actually doing it, the doctrine of adoption is just kind of an easy metaphor. And so Scott and Whitney, uh, I think the one thing that you can take from this is it's important that they're, they're motivated, they're inspired, they're, their whole they're driven by the gospel. That's what hospitality means for their family. A little close to home, a little closer to home, and a lot less involved or maybe sexy is all that is what uh, Hachel alluded to is, is this Christmas um, pageant that we have coming up. It's a, it's a baby step, small opportunity to combine with um, people that don't look or talk like us uh, but share common space um, to make space in our, in our service, in our celebration, our Advent observance as we um, welcome Christ's first coming and anticipate his second coming. And, and we're going to try to do that, and we're going to try not to fall back into those kind of predictable roles and power things where 
if you're not really sure how things work, you just kind of take control because you're capable. Instead, we're going to try to learn. Uh, I, I think that's the goal. Um, and I think we're going to try to be open to the surprise of, of what happens. And you just make a little room. Um, leave. Uh, Mark Acuff, um, his wife used to say, leave a couple of pegs on your Lego for someone else to connect on to. You know, um, we're going to try to do that. We're going to try to see our kids and their, and their kids working together, celebrating together. And I think our, our program will be better for it. And maybe in some small way, it'll teach us how to, how to do that in other, bigger, more expansive, more obvious ways. My prayer is that we do this not just from a point of view that it would be a nice thing to do or a fun thing to do, but because it's, like again, like Hachel said, a, a small glimpse of a vision that God has for renewal and restoration. The good news that Jesus is making all things new and, and that means his church and that means his church and all these different expressions that it motivates us to seek peace and unity and flourishing and collaboration with folks that we don't even understand well or they don't understand us well. And somehow we'll experience surprise of the gospel. We'll meet and be met by Christ as we share ourselves and we open our lives. Last kind of story, and this isn't a uh, uh, one that we experience, but it's it's a story we find in the Gospels, and, and this is again uh, a great story to go back to. This one does not show up very often in the kids' Bibles. Um, it's a parable at the end of Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25, and Jesus surprises us in our posture and our practice of hospitality. We actually might meet him in our service to those who need a little help. It's a gospel irony that shows up in this parable. And, uh, I'll read a, a, at a little length here. In Matthew 25, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. Ding, ding, ding. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on, the, on his right, Come, you, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he'll reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. How haunting is it to hear our own voice (laughs) in that last reply? When did we see you? So often I... I have a lot of good reasons not to respond hospitably to a stranger. I don't feel like I have enough or I'm scared. Uh, And I think this is where the church comes in. Um, I think the church can be a space of welcoming the stranger. It can be safe. We, We can have space and place for people to meet God and to thrive together. I think of... Uh, Jean Vanier, who uh, founded these L'Arche communities, these hospitality um, communities all over the world. He says, one of the marvelous things about community is that it enables us to welcome and help people in a way we couldn't as individuals. We pool our strength and share the work and responsibility. We can welcome many people, even those in deep distress, and perhaps help them have some self-confidence, some healing. It's in this community pooling of strength and sharing of work and responsibility that we find our second key of, of how we're to be to strangers. Remember, God's people act as priests to strangers. God's people act as priests to strangers. The scripture says, and you will be called priests of the Lord You'll be named ministers of our God. And briefly, the role and the calling of priests, if you want to boil it down, is the role and calling of priests are to bring people to God, to mediate between people and God. Old Testament priests were prescribed some pretty elaborate procedures in which to bring people and restore people into a vibrant relationship with their Creator and Redeemer. They anticipate what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, that, they're, that they're to be, that we're to be agents of reconciliation. So we're to be priests. We're to be people's link, their entry point to life with God. And I, I think this happens in a lot of ways, and, and I hope it, this inspires thinking on which ways I'm going to be a priest. I think it happens through our prayer for people, bringing them before God, and we'll have a chance at the end of our service to to pray for people, and I I hope you take advantage of that. I I think it happens through our signs and words of of hope to people, our acts of healing for people. We have the ability and responsibility to bring people to God, and everyone can do priest work. You know, I, I, I grew up as a kid in the Catholic Church, and I actually have really good connotations of what what a priest is and what a priest does, but a lot of people don't. Uh, they think that it's just some obscure office, but I saw these parish priests um, take vows of poverty and service and work for people, like work hard and connect with people and bring people into the life of God, the life of the church. I think everyone can do this priest work. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a priest. You're a priest to your friends. You're a priest to your spouse. You're a priest to your classmates and 
preach to your kids, preach to your boss or your coworkers, a priest to that weird neighbor who always calls and complains on you. You're a priest to your family. You're a priest to your enemies. You're a priest to the Lakewood community. And Isaiah 61 reminds us that you can be a priest to an absolute stranger. A priest to an absolute stranger. People who are different from you. You can bring them to the Lord in prayer. You can care for their physical but also their spiritual needs be tuned into their hurts their sin and you can offer them healing and forgiveness in and through christ priests go out they reach out to others on behalf of god and that's the key on behalf of god in and through christ this isn't just some kind of good plan we come up with it's not a strategy of oak church to grow more diverse or to grow in size. It's not a scheme or an Amway speech. We're, it's not something we even know how to do very well, but to be priests, to, to, to be priests to strangers. It's our mission, it's our proclamation. It's deeply rooted, in, again, in the good news of Jesus, the gift of grace that's been given to us and that we pass on. The new community of the people of God is a, is a group of priests. Each citizen in this has direct access to God, and we offer that access. By the blood of the Lamb, Jesus on the cross for our sake, he's given us access to God, and Jesus shows us what a priest looks like, right? You remember in Hebrews when it calls Jesus our great high priest? He makes us priests in that pattern, in that mold. He lets us offer others transformation, a double portion of joy and belonging in place of despair and poverty. You see, in the Jewish story, priests never had a portion of their own because God was their portion. So the irony here is, is that, that we have a double portion to offer and an inheritance to receive. And that manifests itself in, a, in joy, a double portion of joy. So, Strangers are important. And if we're to be priests to strangers, this, this is part of our vision for Oak Church for the future. This is, this is what we measure our success by. This is our calling. This is um, we hope to always organize and plan for including others and, and having our eyes open and our ears tuned to, to being surprised by how God's going to show up, by what transformation looks like. And there's, there's three H's that keep coming up in, in my mind um, as it relates to this passage. Hope, healing, and hospitality in and through Christ. 